Well, I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Judges chapter one. We're kicking off a brand new series through Judges. And I'm just gonna tell you right up front that this is not gonna be, uh, I don't know, it's gonna be a little bit of an uncomfortable series because Judges is just one of those books that's a little bit on the dark side. Like if they were giving movie ratings to books of the Bible, this is firmly within the R category. I don't know how many of you have read the book of Judges recently. In fact, uh, maybe some of you have never read the book of Judges. But there's something that we're going to see because I believe there's a lot of relevance as we look at where they were and we're going to see relevance to where we are today. Now, to give you a little background, um, I'm, I love museums. I'm a museum guy. I love visiting museums. Uh, when I was a kid, we would, I grew up in Indiana. We'd often run up, uh, go up north to Chicago. Museum of Science and Industry. Love that museum. When I was a kid, they had the Indianapolis uh, Children's Museum, uh, like seven or eight floors, and I'd probably usually only get through three of them. I, I'm, I'm one of those weirdos that I, I look at everything. I want to read every little thing. And so because of that, I never get all the way through the museum. In fact, my wife and I, just, uh, just a few months ago, we'd got away for, for a little weekend, and we were up in the Pocatello area, and somebody had told me about a museum up there called the Museum of Clean. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever been there? Oh, there's like two people. Like... I'm a geek. That was the most fascinating thing. Now, it hasn't changed my life in any way, I'll be honest with you. But like, we, we got to meet the guy who is, uh, he's uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Clean, literally for, for uh, man, United States. Just a great guy. Uh, he's in his 90s now. Uh, man, he took us back. We got to see his office. Gave us a whole bunch of free books. I, I spent a lot of hours there. But, but here's the deal. I love museums because they provide a snapshot of human history. Some of them just focus on, a, on a, just a specific group of people. Some of them sometimes focus on, on you know, uh, the development of a certain area. But, but the thing that I love about museums is, is they give us a snapshot. And, and the one thing that we learn from history is this. We don't learn from history. <laughs> and as we go through the book of Judges... I want you to think of this in, in a way as, as a museum. And what I mean by this, as we march through Judges, we're, we're going to see it as a museum of, of, of Israel's spiritual history as they come into the land that they were promised by God. In fact, as we lay the foundation for this series today, the first two chapters that we're going to be, going to be looking at, that you're, you're going to see a, a picture of a faith that it seems like it's a roller coaster at times, sometimes hot, Honestly, mostly cold, at minimum, at best, lukewarm. It seems like there are certain temptations that they can't shake. And as we walk through the Museum of Judges and we hear their stories of spiritual struggle, I have a feeling that we're going to see our stories in some way. Maybe not to the same extreme, but we're going to see our stories in their stories, and, and there's going to be an answer to the question that I know has been asked by some of you because you've asked it specifically of me. Why am I so up and down spiritually? I don't want this, I don't want this lukewarm approach. Why, why does it seem like, man, I run hot and then I run cold? Well, over the several weeks that we're going to be going through Judges, we might just find an answer to that. And I think it's going to start with what we're going to look at today. You see, as Judges opens, it's at the end of, of uh, 
you know, the children of Israel coming into the promised land, Joshua, uh, man, it records a lot of victories. In fact, I, right off the top of my head, I can't remember if it's Joshua 12 or Joshua 13. It's almost like there's a scoreboard there where, where the writer of the book of, jo- of Joshua just goes through and he mentions all of the kings and all of the kingdoms that have fallen. And, and at the end, he'll, he'll say their name and then he'll say one. And by the time you get done, it's like 30 some, if I remember correctly, 30 some kings and kingdoms that have been toppled as the Israelites have come into the land. But Joshua dies. And so in in verse one of Joshua one, it says that after the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Because if if you read through the end of Joshua, there was still work to be done. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Now, we're going to be in this series, it's going to be a 30,000 foot view of the book of Judges. But every once in a while, we're going to come in, come in close for, for a close up, you know, kind of like what that Chinese spy balloon did. We're going to do the same thing. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. That was good right there. I like that. But there's something that you need to know, and I want you to double check me as we're going through this, okay? So, you know, you need to have the context. In fact, I'm going to give you some background that you can do some research yourself. So I want you to look up at some point this week, Exodus 23 and Exodus 34, Exodus 23 and 34, and then I also want you to look up Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 12. And here's why I want you to look it up. In these chapters, God gives specific instructions. Long before they go into the promised land, he gives them specific instructions of what he has for them to do and what he asks them not to do. And here's what you're going to do. I want you to double check me. There are three primary things that God, that, that God asks. Number one, he says, drive out the Canaanites. Now, I'm not going to get in in this message in the apologetics for why the Israelites were called to drive out the Canaanites. Other than, I'm just going to say this, the Canaanites were not some innocent people and God just like, hey, get them out so you can have this land. No, because of their excessive wickedness, God was sending Israel as his instrument to provide judgment on these people. And I, will, I, I just want to say something. As you read through Judges, there are going to be things that, that, that we wrestle with when it comes to our modern sensibilities. But I'm, I'm going to say that, that as we read through Judges, the same things that trouble us about what takes place here is probably going to be the same things that trouble us about an eternal hell. But what we're going to see is that this wasn't some innocent group of people. God says their wickedness is a stench in my nostrils drive them out. The second thing is that he asked Israel to make no covenant with the, with the Canaanites. Don't accommodate them in any way. Don't become friends with the enemy. The third thing that he asks, he asked them to tear down anything having to do with the false gods of the Canaanites. Not just tear down their idols, tear down their altars, tear down the high places. This is gonna be a theme that, that doesn't just start here. It's literally, if you read through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, this is something, actually go through all the Old Testament. This is something that shows up time and time again. This is what God asks his people to do, tear down the idols. And so this, this gives us some context 
as to what's going on. Again, look at Leviticus 18. If you're going to double check me, look at Levi- this week, look at Leviticus 18. Look at Deuteronomy 18. Those chapters are going to reveal God's view, again, of the wickedness of the Canaanites. So let me get back to the text. You know, uh, we see that Judah goes up. There's some stories here uh, between uh, Judges 1, verse 2, Judges uh, 1, verse 19. When we get to verse 19, we see the introduction uh, of a phrase that shows up time and time again. Read verse 19. And the Lord was with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Now, just to make sure that we understand this, because you can read things, we don't think anything of it, chariots of iron are a big deal. Um, in fact, uh, his, uh, recorded human history reveals that the, the group of people that actually were the ones that, that uh, used iron as, as part of their warfare was a group of people called the Philistines. Anybody ever hear of the Philistines? A uh, guy by the name of Samson that, that's on down the road. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, a guy by the name of Goliath that's going to come on down the road. You're going to hear about that. Then in Samson's story, he, he's going to encounter Philistines. It's, it's a group of people that they're supposed to drive out. But, but they have these, these chariots of iron. It would be like us sitting in drones in a military sense against just infantry. You don't stand, you, you don't stand a chance on paper. And so... He was like, well, they, they tried, but they just couldn't do it. But it's interesting, this phrase, they could not drive them out or did not drive them out. It shows up here in verse 19. In fact, you can underline in, your, in, in, in chapter 2 every time it shows up. Verse 19, it shows up. Verse 21, 27, 29, 30, 31, 33. Uh, actually, verses 34 and 35 actually refer to it. And what they did, they did not drive them out. Or it says they could not drive them out. Now, they did other things. They put them to forced labor. They, they made other excuses for this. But uh, Tim Keller, he has a really good uh, commentary on, on Judges. And, and he, he made this, this comment. He said, it's almost like whoever's writing Judges is putting the spin on, well, here's why we couldn't drive them out. And when we, we read that phrase, you might be, you know, you're like, well, yeah, okay. I mean, I get it. They, they did their best. But I want you to look at God's take on this. We're, we're going to get, go now to Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. And in verse 1, he sent an angel with a message. And here's the message from God. God said, I brought you up from Egypt and I brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. Here's God's assessment. Their assessment was, man, we tried. Here's God's assessment. You have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? And I want us to think about that assessment. Listen, I don't, when I preach this morning, you gotta know, I'm not preaching at a person. I had a guy after the first service say, hey, next time you're gonna preach about me, just throw my picture up on the screen so everybody knows who you're talking about. (laughs) He was joking. But the reality is, I I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're struggling with. But I want, I want to talk to people that perhaps you've been playing games with God. If you're going to be honest, you've made accommodation in your life for sin. And I, I, I want you to ask yourself, what 
would God's assessment be? Now listen, we know that God is a God of grace. We have a God who saves, all of those things. But I want us to address perhaps the excuses we're making that accommodate sin in our lives. And there are gonna be a few things that that, that jump out from, from judges that I want us to deal with because they were true then, but they're also true now. The, the first thing that, that I want you to write down if you're taking notes is this. Our little excuses can lead to big problems. Our little excuses can lead to big problems. You see, they said, we can't do this. We can't do this. And God's like, well, hold on a second. Why have you not obeyed my voice? He says in verse three, because you haven't done this. So now I will say, I will not drive them out before you but they shall become thorns in your sides and their gods shall be a snare to you. And as we read from from this point forward through the book of Judges, this prophecy was fulfilled. In fact, let's just go back to the Philistines. The people they were driving out, they actually became their masters. And we're gonna see that show up even here in this book in just a a few chapters. Here was Israel's response when when, when God called them to go take the land. They said, we tried and we can't. God responded to them, it's not that you can't, it's that you won't. Now I want you to notice a very important phrase in verse three. Very important phrase in in, in verse three. God said, I will not drive them out before you. Now why, why is that an important phrase? It's because God did not call his people to fight the battle merely in their own strength. The reason why they couldn't was because they were depending on their own strength, their own ability, and, and, and their, their own capacity. Instead of going to God, the one who said, I will fight your battles for you. I will go before you. He said this uh, through, his, through his prophet Moses. He said, this through, he said this through Joshua. Let me fight your battles. Instead of let him, letting him fight, they said, well, let me show you what we can do And when they couldn't do it, they said, we can't, we tried. And I'm going to say something, church, there's going to come to a place, we'll all come to a place, if we try to do this whole thing in our own strength and our own ability, we're going to come to a place that we're going to have to say, we tried and we can't. Now, here's what you got to know. When we find, when, when we get to those places and we say, we tried and we can't, These areas are footholds that were given to the enemy that if they aren't already, will become strongholds that the enemy is going to try to use to defeat us. We're all gonna come to a place where we're like, well, we can't. It's sexual temptation. Well, man, I I don't want purity. I don't like looking at porn, but I can't. I can't break this habit. We're in, a, we're in a relationship we, sh- we shouldn't be in. Well, man, I, man I, I know this, this isn't kosher and all that sort of thing, but, but man, I can't be alone. Well, God, I know that you've asked me to, to, to give, but, but, but God, if you looked at my budget, I can't afford to give to your kingdom. I know I should for, forgive, but, but God, you don't know, man, that, that I can't forgive. Listen, we're all gonna come to places where we're gonna have to say, I can't, 
And God says, no, the issue is not that you can't. The, the issue is that you won't. It has nothing to do with your inability to obey in your own strength. It has everything to do with you not dependent on me to be your God and fight your battles for you. Oh, man. Israel was religious, but they weren't faithful. And um, Daniel and Vaughn are going to pick this up. There are going to be times where you're going to preach. It's not going to be fun. For, for, for a few minutes, let's just, we're just going to hit this straight up. There's a lot of us. And, and by the way, if you're not a Christian, I'm not talking to unbelievers here. Okay? If you're, if you're not a Christian, I, I want you to listen to what the standard is, what, what God has asked of us. But I'm not preaching to unbelievers. I'm glad you're here. This is, not for you. this is for those of us who's, who claim that we are Christians, we're following Christ. What you've got to know is that a lot of times we've settled for being religious instead of being faithful. There are two approaches when it comes to our relationship with God. One of them is, okay, if this line right here is a divider, you know, one foot over here and one foot over here, we're trying to straddle the fence. I want enough of God where he'll be okay with me and I won't go to hell and he'll bless me and give me good things and take care of my kids and whatever else. It's almost like we turn into the superstitious type of thing. But not, I don't want all of you because I still want to be cool or I still want to be relevant or I still want to do what I want to do. But by the way, that's not following God. Following God is is just an all in, like I'm going all in. It's, it's not my strength, God. It has to be yours. And what happens is when we're playing these games and we're straddling the fence, we make excuses for why we are where we are and why we accommodate what we accommodate. But at the end of the day, end of the day you gotta understand that our little excuses are gonna lead to big problems. God said, I didn't ask you to, to, to live this life in your own ability. And I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you what you need. I will fight for you. But a lot of times it's like, God, let me show you what we can do. I, I came across this quote from Pastor J.D. Greer, and I really like this. He said, lurking in every crevice of our hearts are our own little Canaanites of unbelief and sin. And the reality is true. And, and the, the answer to this, literally, guys, is the gospel. And I'm going to tell you, as we go through Judges, I'm gonna come back to the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and, and his resurrection and why that matters. And the reason I'm gonna come back to the gospel is because, man, the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. The gospels are about Jesus. The rest of the New Testament, the epistles of Revelation are, are about, man, living for Christ and one day seeing Christ. It's all about Jesus. And so we're gonna keep coming back to the gospel because the answer for these little Canaanites that we're talking about, it's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. We gotta send the gospel to our emotions. We got to send the gospel to these areas of unbelief and sin. We got to send the gospel to our worries, our goals, our temptations, our security. Listen, man, with God's help and by God's grace, man, we got to agree with God to drive these enemies out from our heart. We cannot accommodate what God has allowed or what God has called us to not partake in. 
You're like, well, man, I don't have, I don't, I, I'm not good enough. I, you're not, I'm not. We just sing, there's nothing that our God can't do. Do we believe that or we just sing some words on a screen? If, if we play this game of just trying to serve God among other gods, here's what happens. Look at verse 11 of chapter two. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And what they do? They accommodate. They, not, it's not just that they didn't tear down the gods. They actually began to serve the Baals. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. They provoked the Lord to anger. And here's, here's what we got to know, guys. It's, it's, again, man, this is, this is just some, some tough stuff here. We're, we're going to make a choice as to whether or not we're going to follow God. Or I should say we're going to make a choice as to which God we're going to pursue. We will choose to serve either the God who saves or the God who enslaves. Joshua, I want to go back to Joshua, immediately preceding what we have here in Judges. Some of his last words before he died, he gathered the leaders of Israel. It's found in Joshua chapter 24. And in verse 15, words that are really popular in Christian circles. Some of you might even have these words. You, you, you like got a little thing from Hobby Lobby and it's hanging on a wall in your house. <laughs> like, here, here's what Joshua says. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river, he's talking about in Egypt before they, they, they crossed the river, came out of slavery, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell right now. But as for me and my house, here's what he said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a choice to be made. And by the way, can I tell you that the fact that God gives us the ability to choose is not a denial of his sovereign purposes because our, our, our ability to choose is limited by God's sovereign plans. There is nothing that you're going to do that God's like, oh, crud. There goes my plans. We well, got to start all over. That's it's not going to happen. Not going to happen at all. But he does allow us to, to, to choose. He gives us choice. And the Israelites chose, and, and, and the, the, the choice was devastating. They gave themselves to idols. When they came into the land they're supposed to conquer, instead of driving out the Canaanites, they accommodated them. And when they accommodated them, they began to listen to them. And by the way, their whole thing of worshiping them, it wasn't because they, they just wanted to be cool to fit in with, with the, the Canaanite people. But it was because they, they actually took an investment strategy. You've heard the investment strategy, don't put all your eggs in one basket, Right? That might be good advice when it comes to money. It's terrible advice when it comes to God. Because the Canaanites, they had their own gods. They had gods, that, for instance, Baal, that he, he was the God that they prayed to when they needed rain. He was the God that was supposed to give them rain. Asherah was, if, if you wanted to have kids, he was the God of fertility. They, or she was the God of, they had all of these gods and goddesses. And so what the Israelites did is they, they would have told you that, that Yahweh was still their God, but they, they hedged their bets and they brought in all of these other gods because they needed, they wanted to make sure that their power, their freedom, that their happiness and, and all of that was taken care of. And so they hedged their bets instead of getting rid of the false gods and depending on God, they said, we're gonna have God, but we also wanna, wanna try out these other things to make sure and what I know is, is this, what was true then is true today. False gods don't deliver on their promises. Money, 
Not a single, nothing wrong with money in and of itself. But money as a master is a terrible thing. Sex, thank God for sex. I'm gonna tell you right, between a husband and wife, that's a great thing. But when you're living your life and that's what it's all about, terrible master. I would even say good things, for instance, like, like families. Like you put all your hopes and dreams in your families. Families are wonderful things. But when it becomes your God, your source of identity, your source of, of security, they're terrible masters. All of these things are, 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 are good things, but, but when we choose them and we make, we make things of this world gods, what we find is that they not only enslave us, but actually they provoke God. And as, as we continue to read, look at verse 14. It says, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunders who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible distress. And, and by the way, what we're gonna see here in Judges 2, there, there are at least there are three um, things that we refer to as emotions that we can attribute to God. First of all, God is a God who has righteous anger. And, and the reason I use that word righteous to make sure that we have context. It is right anger. And, and the second is, is tied to the first. He is also righteously jealous. He is righteously jealous. Now, l l let me explain this real quick because you're like, well, how can a good God be jealous? Okay, hold on a second. Let's just talk about that for a second. There is such a thing as righteous jealous. I, I am jealous for the affections of my family, for example. So last night I, I took my son, Cole. Somebody gave him a gift card for Christmas or whatever, and we went in different places trying to spend it. And by the way, if you ever you want to hurt me, give my kid a gift card because I'm going to just spend time driving around, figuring places, looking at stuff. And so, so we're, we're driving around here and there. And so on our way back, we were, we were talking about different things. And, and one thing that I was, I, I was talking to him about was, uh, man, you know, the difference that it makes when we follow Jesus. We were just talking about this. And um, I was telling him a little bit of, of my story. And I told him, I said, I said man, you got to know that I want more than anything, more than you being an athlete, more than you being, getting academic awards or whatever, being rich. Man, I want you to follow Jesus. That literally is, is number one on my list. It's like when I see, I'm gonna tell you right now, when, when I see my kids, if, they, if they're pursuing something that, that is anything other than that, I'm gonna tell you right now, I am jealous of those, those affections because it's gonna hurt them. I love my kids. I, I wanna pull them back. I'm jealous of my wife's affections. Lori starts flirting with another guy, I'm gonna have a problem with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, th there is such a thing as righteous jealousy. What we've got to understand is that, that God's righteous anger and God's righteous jealousy is not proof that he hates his people. When we see his anger, we see the, the, these examples of, of jealousy. No, the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of, of, of love is apathy. Just do whatever you want. No, he loves us enough that he wants what's, what's best. When we're straying, he's angered at this. He's angry towards sin. But it's not just the, the, these emotions of, of, of righteous anger and, and righteous jealousy. We see this in verse 18, that even when they paid the consequences, which by the way, it was 
Like, it wasn't that God held out on them and said, hey, you're going to get blindsided by this. He had told them literally decades before, here's what is going to happen if you don't follow me. Here, here are the blessings you'll, you'll have if you do. Here's what's going to happen if you don't. Like, he spelled it out. Guys, can we live in a world that has consequences? Every decision has consequences for good or for, for bad. Every decision. But it says that even when they faced the consequences, in verse 18, it says, the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. Man, it's God's heart. He still loves. It's like, man, you towards the child. That man is making terrible decisions. You are righteously angry, but you still love them. Your heart is moved with pity for them. And so, so what do we see God doing? He gives them judges. But what we're gonna see as we go through this, this is a big part of this, this is why it's called the book of Judges. What we're gonna see is that the, the, these judges aren't perfect saviors. They're, they're broken themselves. But man, even when God sent them judges, it wasn't like, like they stopped. In fact, verse 19 says, whenever the judge died, they would just turn back. They were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And so they paid the consequences. And what you've got to know, church, is over the next few weeks as we go through judges, as weird as some of these messages are going to be, I'm just telling you right now, like we're going to talk about some crazy stuff here, but I'm telling you, again, it's, it's a museum. We're going to see in their stories some of our own struggles. But what, what I want to do more than anything is... Make sure that we understand, man, here's what God has for us. Here's what God has called us to. I want to make sure that we have the knowledge, but you got to know that with that knowledge comes responsibility. And here's what you got to know. The last thing I'm going to leave you with today is disregarding what we know will lead to disbelief and disobedience. Disregarding what we know will lead to disbelief and disobedience, and I could add to that, I didn't put that on the notes, eventually it's going to lead to some level of destruction. And it's interesting because beginning in Judges chapter one, all the way through the book of, of Judges, we see not just a progression, we see a regression. In Judges 1.1, 1, 1, we see them inquiring of God. They want to hear his voice. By the time we get to Judges 2.1, it says that the people are disregarding God's voice. Judges 2.4 says they begin to, to see the consequences of what's taking place. And they see the damage here, but they, they, they weep. But, but, there's a, but just because you weep doesn't mean that you're repentant. Repentant has everything to do with the changing of the heart, the changing of the mind. They just, they just wept because who, who likes to go through pain? But then we see what this leads to, and it's Judges chapter 2, verse 10. It says that the next generation didn't know God personally. There, there came a generation. Look at, look, at verse, look at verse 10. There arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. They knew about some things, but they had no intimate connection to what God had actually done. And so what do we see? Within a generation, they go from serving a God who's bringing, bringing down walls of Jericho to serving Baals. And guys, th th this is a warning. And I wanna give this warning to parents, to grandparents, actually, to anyone who has influence. You, are you and I are responsible for the influence, we influence we've been given. 
we will steward this either for the glory of God or for our personal good, or we'll try to, to use people and that sort of thing, but you've got to know that we are teaching with our lives. You're teaching your kids. I want our kids to hear the stories of who God is, but I don't want just our kids to hear stories of what God has done. I want our kids to see a mighty move of God in our lives in their parents, in their grandparents, in their aunts, their uncles, in their teachers, in their friends, in their coworkers. And guys, what, we, what we've got to know is if we abdicate the responsibility that we've been given, if we play games with God in a generation, in a generation, things can shift. And the question would be, what would take place if we just play this whole game of straddling the fence, trying to be kind of in, kind of out, not going all in. Last week in 2 Peter 1.9, we talked about how we can become so nearsighted that we're blind, forgetting that we have been cleansed from our former sins. Amnesia produces apostasy, a falling away. Not just with us, I'm talking about future generations. But on the flip side, let me, let me take a positive spin on this. If it is true that forgetting and not sharing and not living this results in amnesia, what could take place if we intentionally teach the next gen through our words and actions? I believe there is incredible potential for God to move. The reason why I believe that revival is, is, is possible even in the United States with all the junk that's going on, the reason why I think it's possible is because we're still the church. We're still God's people. And guys, I'm gonna tell you right now, there is nothing that will bring about change more than a transformed life. And not just a person who is transformed, but who can't help but talk about it. Listen, a God like this is a God you can put your trust in. But we gotta go all in. But when we go all in, it changes everything. Amen. I thought about this. In fact, this morning, I, I got in here. I, I woke up early, and so I'm just like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come over. So I came over here, and, and I, I was going over my message. I printed off my notes, and I started thinking about this. Like, I'm a pastor. Here's what, like, if you're new to grace, you got to know that I don't come from a long line of, of preachers. I just don't. I was raised in a Christian home, but I only go back two generations my grandma, my mom's mom, was raised in a little town in Indiana. She had several brothers and sisters when she was 13 years old. Her mom left, left her, left, left her, left her dad, left the family. She was in eighth grade and her dad was a hardworking man. He didn't have time to raise kids and so he made her drop out of school. She always regretted not going back to school. She was smart as a whip, but she cooked and cleaned and literally raised her brothers and sisters, but it was an ungodly family. At the age of 15, back then, there weren't a lot of people, and there weren't a lot of things happening in her little town. At the age of 15, 
they had like a, a camp meeting revival type thing that came to town. There was a big old tent and they, they put down sawdust and they, they had all these benches they would put out. And, and because there was nothing else going on, she just showed up for the show. But at the age of 15, she heard a guy preach the gospel. And when she heard the gospel preach, man, there was something she said, I want that. It's the first time she had hope. And, and there was an invitation given and my, my, my grandma was a 15 year old girl walked down and, and literally God changed her life in an instant. Like when we talk about repentance and we, we talk about, it wasn't just a, a change that, that had to do with emotion. It was a changing of the heart. It was a changing of the mind. Literally my grandma's life was never the same. She married a, a Christian guy. They had nine kids, they, one of the kids died. Her life was never an easy life. When my mom was three years old, my grandpa died. I never met him, he's 42 years old, dropped dead of a heart attack. She raised eight kids by herself. Oh, the story she would tell. But man, I'm gonna tell you, when grandma would show up to my house, we would sit down after supper and she'd tell me story after story after story. Like she, like she would laugh and cry at the same time, which I thought was kind of weird, but. Man, it was story after story of what God had done, what she had seen God do, how God had provided. And here's the deal, even as a kid, I was raised in a Christian home, but it, but it wasn't like I, I knew God intimately, but, but after hearing her stories, it's like, man, I, I, want, I want that God. I wanna serve that God. Man, she lived until she was 102 years old. From the age of 15 to 102 years old, she, I'm not saying she never struggled, she never had problems, and listen, she had her character flaws. But she never went back on Jesus. And because of one person's commitment, can I tell you that this choice, choose you this day whom you will serve, it will define not just your life, but future generations. This morning when I came in, I sat down. I'd never, I don't know that I'd ever done this. I sat down and began to figure out, to the best of my knowledge, there are 27 of her kids, grandkids and grandkids, great-grandkids that are in full-time Christian ministry as missionaries, as a song evangelists, as pastors. They're literally, they're all over the world. What, what made the difference? And it's somebody said, I'm not playing games. I'm going, I, I, man, I'm going all in with God. My question is this as we close. Are you playing games? Are you playing games? Man, guys, it's, it's, this is too serious. Our family's future depends. Are we playing games with God? Or are we gonna go all in? What I wanna do as we close this morning is I'm gonna have you stand with me. Would you stand? We're gonna have our own invitation here at the end and not gonna be some big thing other than I'm gonna give you a chance as I, as I pray. If you're, if you're saying, man, I, I don't wanna play games with God. Man, I wanna be all in. And maybe it's just a time of recommitment this morning. Maybe you aren't a Christian. You're like, I want that. I wanna go on. Whatever the case happens to be. I want you to come down. We got people that will pray with you, pray for you. God can make a change. Because I'm telling you, there are two sides to this coin. Going all in, not going in. And we're gonna, we're gonna see one side of the coin as we go through the book of Judges. But guys, the answer to the darkness of the book of Judges, we're gonna hear this every week. It is the gospel. Lord, I wanna thank you so much for what you're doing. I wanna thank you for including the book of Judges. Part of the reason why I believe the Bible among many 
is because it doesn't try to paint your people's perfect people. In fact, it shows us for who we really are. And God, I know that as we're gonna go through the series, we're gonna see our own stories here in the Israelite stories. But God, maybe today there'll be people that are just playing games with you. And I'm praying that before this day is over, before I'm done praying to God, there'll be people that respond. Instead of playing games, God, man, that they would go all in with you. And God, I believe that as we do, there are great things in store. God, may we be keenly aware of what you've called us to. May we be keenly aware of the consequences of turning our back on you. But God, may we also be aware of the grace and the love that you have as we come to you. And for what you're gonna do in and through your people as we follow you, we'll thank you for this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You're dismissed. If you're coming forward, come forward. The rest of you be dismissed. We'll see you next week.